Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Christ in Me with Addie, where we seek to live out a John 3.30 life. John 3.30 says he must become greater and greater and I less and less. Let's be real. In today's world, it can seem impossible to live out what the Bible calls us to do. Not only can it be hard to understand sometimes, but finding the time to read the Bible, to understand the Bible, to know the Bible, it can just be overwhelming. So I created this podcast so we could walk alongside each other, share some of our stories and struggles, but also where the Lord is bringing us so that we can encourage one another and stay rooted in his word. It's my prayer that you walk away from each episode saying, I know that that is Christ in me. I know Christ in me. So let's get into today's topic. friends. Welcome back to another episode of Christ in Me with Addie. Before we dive into today's subject of Advent, I wanted to talk to you guys about some of my designs um, that I've been working on that are available. So I'm currently wearing my True Story crew neck. So if you're listening on a podcast platform, pop on over to YouTube to get a look at my True Story crew neck. This is one that I made specifically for the Advent and Christmas season. And it's been such a conversation starter between people who just don't know about you know, depictions of the nativity or don't know about Christ, they've asked me like, what's the true story? And then in the O of story is Mary and Joseph over the manger with Jesus. And so I've been able to talk about Christ with people. And that's why I design these, um, these pieces so that they can be conversation starters so we can share the gospel with ease to those who are curious. So this is kind of a fun fact, but before I design anything that I'm about to make, I typically pray over it to say, Lord, what will you have me draw? What do you want me to say? What will spark conversations with people who might not know you? So this is available on my website, which you can find that through the link in my bio on Instagram at Addie Overla. I'm also going to put the link in the bottom of this podcast episode, both on podcast platforms and also on YouTube. So I hope you guys will check out some of my sort of Christmas slash Advent gear to help you suit up to share the true story of Christ this Christmas and Advent season. That being said, let's dive into today's topic. What is Advent? So at the time that I'm recording this, we're just a few weeks away from Christmas, which means the Advent season is upon us. We are in full swing, full send, Christmas, everything. I haven't started watching Christmas movies yet. Actually, that's not true. I just watched the new Lindsay Lohan one on Netflix. And I have to say, I don't watch like a ton of secular TV, but I grew up absolutely loving Parent Trap. So I just wanted to check on Lindsay. You know, she's been through so much in her life. I wanted to check on Lindsay, see how she's doing. And I actually really loved that movie. I thought it was cute. I thought it was funny, relatable. Anyways, it looks like she's doing well. And so when we see people go through things in life. It's important to pray for them, whether you know them or not, celebrity or not. Um, So it just touched my heart to see her from Parent Trap now relaunching sort of her, um, her career in a Christmas movie that was very, very wholesome. Moving on. So I mentioned this in my testimony episode, but I was raised in a more exclusive denomination. And I got the idea for this episode, kind of where to go with the Advent conversation based on reflecting on my childhood. So as a child, I remember I just dreaded going to church. I went to church because it made my parents happy. I went to church because it just felt like something I had to do. 
you know, I did the whole candle lighting thing. I was an altar girl. So I served, you know, but all those things were really because my parents wanted me to, and not because I loved the Lord so much. I didn't really know, understand, or have any interest in the Lord until my twenties. So in this exclusive denomination, we celebrated Advent very ritualistically, very ceremonial, ceremonially. And now as an adult, I see the beauty in the symbolism. And I do see the beauty in some of the practices, even though my heart wasn't in them as a kid. But that kind of begged bigger questions in my mind. Like, what is Advent really? Is Advent anywhere in the Bible? Does it tell us to light candles? Does it tell us to, you know, celebrate for four weeks? Does it tell us that Advent is a biblical ordinance? Or is it just a timeless tradition that we've sort of adopted? So together today, I wanted to explore the roots and talk about what's tradition versus what's biblical and whether or not this is something we do or don't need to do as followers of Jesus. So Advent itself is celebrated for four weeks on the Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. The word Advent itself means arrival. It can also mean an appearing or coming into place. So for the four weeks leading up until Christmas, we are awaiting the first advent or arrival of Jesus. Christmas Day is also referred to as the incarnation of Jesus, which means basically just when he took on flesh, became man, and was born unto the world. So advent season leads up to the incarnation of Christ. And now that we know sort of the Christianese terms for all of these um, Bible happenings, this is kind of a fun fact, but on this side of the gospel, so this uh, new, we're living in the new covenant under the, the New Testament, you know, we're kind of the extension of the New Testament as it progresses the story of Christ. We are currently awaiting the second coming of Christ, and that's laid out in the book of Revelation. If you'd like to learn more about um, Revelation, because I know that book is very confusing, a little scary if you read it and don't really understand it. It's actually my favorite book of the Bible. That's another fun fact within this fun fact that I'm breaking down right now. But there's a book called Revealing Revelation by Amir Safari, and I highly recommend it. I'll also link that below. My Bible study did that, and honestly, it was upon reading that book that I really started to understand and grasp what Revelation was painting out. Also, another fun fact within this fun fact is that uh, the book of Revelation is mistakenly called Revelations sometimes, but the revelation of Christ is just a singular revelation. So the book of Revelation is singular and not actually plural. So kind of to reiterate all of the um, fun facts that I just tried to unveil in one. We are currently awaiting the second coming of Christ, which again is laid out in the book of Revelation. After Jesus's birth, he lived to be 30 some years old. He was crucified, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. So that's the timeline of his life. He was born, he lived, did his whole ministry, Sermon on the Mount, all that jazz. He was crucified, he rose from the dead on the third day, which we know as Easter, and then he ascended into heaven. That's the timeline. And now we await his second coming to earth when God will right every wrong. I won't go into too much detail, but I've heard this question asked a lot. Why does God let bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why, um, why is there injustice in the world today? 
The answer to this question is within what I just read. We now await his second coming to earth when God will right every wrong. The reason that wrongs happen in our world today is because God is giving us gracefully and mercifully more time for more people to come to know Jesus to be saved upon the second coming. Because when Jesus comes to the earth, you're either going to be a part of a terrible trial tribulation period, or you will be collected up as God's people, as followers of Jesus, as the church. Um, And so it's upon that time that every wrong will be corrected. Every wrong will see justice. So it's by his great mercy that Jesus has not returned yet to give more people more time to come to repentance, to come to know Christ. So when you see those signs that say, repent and believe Jesus is coming, sure, those can seem scary. Sometimes people can roll their eyes and be like, whoa, man. But it's because people understand the urgency of the second coming of Christ. People understand the urgency of what is laid out in the book of Revelation. It says also that no one knows, not even Jesus, only God alone knows when this moment will take place. So we always, in a sense, as Christians, have to be ready. So that's why it's important to consistently repent of your sin, to keep your eyes focused on Jesus and his second coming. So Jesus' second arrival to earth can also be referred to as the second advent or second coming of Christ. So Advent is observed with various traditions like Advent wreaths and other rituals. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see here on my desk, I brought my Advent wreath out. And if you're listening on a podcast platform and you're not sure what an Advent wreath looks like, hop on over to YouTube. You can see my true story crew neck and you can also see my Advent wreath kind of set up here. These are most commonly found in Catholic churches and in other liturgical groups such as Lutherans, Angelicans, and Methodists. Um, But they're not exclusively there, which I will get to in just a moment. But if you're wondering what the the word liturgical means, because I know that's kind of a Christianese term, sort of an insider faith term, right? Liturgical basically just references any church or denomination that has a repetitious or very formal predetermined order or manner of worship. And I know most churches kind of have a show flow or an expectation of service, how the how the um, service is going to go is typically laid out on their website. But liturgical churches specifically typically keep to the same service style without much differentiation or variation. So regardless of denomination, though, Advent uh, celebrations, Advent wreaths, candle lighting ceremonies have been celebrated in the Christian church as a whole for centuries. So now to kind of explain where this came from. So my church, for example, has a Baptist background, but they fully encompass the non-denominational worship style in the early 2000s. But with a more liturgical Baptist background, they had an Advent wreath candle lighting ceremony every Christmas. Since then, we've kind of moved away from that ceremonial sort of ritualistic candle lighting ceremony where everyone stands, the candle is lit, and then something's recited. And instead, now we invite family. So we go to a family and say, hey, would you and your kids be interested in helping us shoot a promo video for the church? You guys are going to light an Advent candle, and you're going to talk about what that candle represents, and then you're going to say a prayer. Um, and then, you know, your kids are going to do something really cute that's going to make us go viral. No, just kidding. But we kind of have adopted that now as something a little more fun, something a little more lighthearted, something that still is reverent towards the Lord. um, But it's again, just encompassing more of a non-denominational style. I've found that whether or not a church celebrates 
advent or does the candle lighting ceremony or has a, a wreath present on their stage typically has more to do with the church's roots and background and less on how reverent in faith the church is. So it's perfectly acceptable for people to use their worship for the Lord to record a video for church, to play drums in church, to, you know, there's so many ways that you can express worship today using the gifts and talents that God has given you. I don't think that that shows a lack of reverence. I think that shows a, a, a presence of an evolving world and people using what we have now to seek and glorify Him. So, Again, I found that whether or not a church holds to the Advent tradition has less to do with how reverent or strong in faith they are, and more so what is that church's background. So before we can move on to the meaning and the purpose of Advent, let's talk about where the idea of Advent came from, and I'm going to talk about the Advent wreath specifically here. So this is secular history, so keep that in mind, but secular historians tell us that the first Advent wreath was conceived in the early 1800s by a Protestant pastor named Johann Heinrich Wichern, which I just murdered that name, but I'm going to guess by the way that it's spelled that he was German, and he was known for his mission work among the poor and especially poor children. Around 1830, Johann noticed that during the month of December, the children in his mission school would ask every single day whether or not Christmas had arrived. So I can picture it in my head now. You know, it's like kids in the car. Are we there yet? You know, these kids constantly came to him and said, is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? Is it Christmas yet? And in response to their impatience and the constant questioning, he fashioned a wreath, quote unquote, wreath from the wheel of a cart. On this wreath, he he placed 20 red candles and four white candles. This helped the children mark the time or the day that it was leading up until Christmas. Every red candle was lit for a weekday and every white candle was lit for Sundays. So that's kind of where we got the tradition, supposedly, of lighting you know, a, a candle on Sunday leading up to Advent. It's said that the idea of the Advent wreath caught on in Protestant churches, and it didn't reach the United States until the 1920s. Around this time, the Roman Catholic Church had begun to adopt the ritual and likely learned it from German Catholic and Lutheran immigrants. Again, this is one theory of the origins, but the truth is we don't know the exact origin of the Advent wreaths that we know today, which are represented, again, by purple and pink candles. Um, if you aren't sure what an Advent wreath is, again, you can come over to my YouTube and take a look at the one that I have on my desk here, but it's a circular arrangement of four to five candles with an evergreen wreath at the base of the candles. Traditionally, there are three purple candles, one pink candle, which is actually a rose candle, and I'll go into that explanation here in a moment. And then they, the optional candle is a white candle in the middle, which represents the Christ candle. I've also seen this depicted, though, with all white candles. So you may have seen Advent wreaths with white candles or pink and purple candles. Let's first start with the symbolism of the evergreen wreath at the base. So the evergreen wreath at the base of an Advent candle wreath is meant to symbolize the everlasting kingship of Christ and the throne established forever that was prophesied to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. It says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. 
It would be through David's family line that the promised Messiah would come. This divine king would sit upon David's throne and rule it to a world that would have no end. And so we also see this painted in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. This is a famous Christmas verse, and it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So again, we can see the symbolism in the evergreen wreath um, because it's supposed to show the everlasting kingdom of Christ. I've also heard some people say that it's supposed to represent a new crown for Jesus, no longer a crown of thorns, but a crown of evergreen to show, again, his everlasting kingship, royalty that does not die, that does not fade. Now for the candles. If you're wondering why, like, I have my whole life why they're pink and purple because it just kind of looks like something out of like a littlest pet shop or Hello Kitty or My Little Pony um, toy set. Purple is often used in the liturgical church to represent royalty and the sovereignty of Christ. The pink candle, which this is kind of funny, but I have Catholic priest uncles, and as a kid, they would wear um, they would wear their their vest, vestments, I think that's the word, vestments, which is like their robes, basically. They would wear a, a pink robe during Christmas and Easter, I believe. And I would tease them like, oh, you're, you know, uncle whatever is wearing pink, you know. And they would joke back with me and correct me and be like, it's rose. So in the liturgical church, it's actually a rose candle and not a pink candle. But let's talk about the first week of Advent. So the first candle that's lit is a purple candle. And the first week of Advent is meant to represent hope and the hope that we have in Christ. Again, since purple is known to the liturgical church as the color of sort of royalty and sovereignty, we're supposed to reflect on um, God's everlasting sort of everlasting faithfulness and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus because his promises to us have been fulfilled. And so this is also supposed to represent a time of repentance, which basically just means expressing uh, expressing remorse for your sin and fasting. If you're not sure what fasting is, that's basically when you abstain from something to help you uh, draw to the Lord and to um, submit your ways to him. If you've never considered fasting, this is a, a subject I want to cover on another podcast episode. I have had some of my deepest moments with God in moments of fasting. But because um, it's repre purple represents sort of repentance and fasting, it has become a primary color of Lent. This is another practice in the liturgical church, and Lent is the 40 days of fasting that leads up to Easter again in the liturgical church. So because of this, Advent and Lent sometimes get confused, but people get confused between the two. So during Advent, the liturgical church often has blue candles and a pink candle instead of purple so that um, they can distinguish between Advent and Lent. So sometimes the candles are purple, sometimes they are blue. So week one is hope. The second candle is another purple candle. This is the second week of Advent and it's lit to symbolize peace. It's another week of reflecting on our sin and, and our remorse for our sin, but also the peace that Jesus brings despite our sin. 
The third candle is pink or rose, and it's meant to symbolize joy. Again, more correctly, it is rose because in the liturgical church, the color rose is meant to represent joy both during Advent and Easter. It's meant to remind us the joy that the world experienced at the birth of Jesus, as well as the joy that the the faithful have reached the midpoint of Advent, which is why the candle color changes. So if you've ever wondered, if you're OCD like me and you're like, why aren't all of them purple? The uh, pink candle is meant, rose candle, is meant to symbolize the midway point, but also sort of the shift in our thinking from, you know, just deep reflection on our remorse for our sin and moving into a time of just joy and celebrating the birth of our Savior. The fourth week of Advent is a purple candle and it represents love and it is lit on Christmas Eve to symbolize the great love that God had for us by sending his son to earth um, to not only teach us to be among us, but to save us. And so the fifth optional candle goes in the middle. And again, that's the Christ candle. It's typically white and it's lit on Christmas day, representing the light of Christ that is eternally lit, that has overcome the dark. And it's ignited in all those who believe in him, the light that shines for all the world. Now, before you blow up my DMs, know that there are many variations to this. So the the, uh, lineup that I just shared with you is week one, hope, week two, peace, week three, joy, week four, love, week five, optional Christ candle. In the liturgical church with Catholics, for example, they celebrate the weeks as hope, faith, joy, and peace. And sometimes people interchangeably switch out the peace and the love candle. So every church does it a little bit different, but I think the most important thing to remember is that, again, this is not something that's laid out in scripture. We don't need to correct each other on like, actually, that's the love candle this week. And uh, at the end of the day, we should not squabble over denominational differences, but instead why we do the tradition of Advent in the first place, which is to help our hearts reflect on and prepare room for our coming Savior. Truly, this is something that we should do year-round anyway, but I just love the Advent season because it's time to slow down, remember the humble way that Jesus came to this earth for you and for me. So don't let denominational denominational differences on the order of the candle or the name of the candle keep you from remembering why we do it to begin with. With that, I also want to state there's some controversy on whether or not Christians should even celebrate Christmas. And I know this sounds like an oxymoron, but I was introduced to this idea for the first time last year. I had someone who was Muslim actually reach out to me and they're very kind. They're like, I just want to know, why do you celebrate Christmas? Because God doesn't instruct us to celebrate Jesus's birthday. We don't know with certainty that Jesus was born on December 25th anyway. And so why do you do this? I want to start by saying, yes, everything that was just stated by that person is true. However, even though the Bible does not lay out Advent instructions or or, uh, clearly state that his birthday was December 25th, we are extended an invitation to Jesus's birthday party through the documentation of it. And I Whether man-made or not, for centuries, humans have expressed their reverence and gratitude to God by celebrating Jesus's birth. I really don't think that, you know, this is my personal opinion, but I truly don't think that God is looking down on the earth, looking at us and saying, I never told you to celebrate the birth of my son, so that's not okay by me. We're celebrating 
why we have hope. We're celebrating our eternal hope in the day that he came to this earth. I think there are so many man-made traditions that we see as good. I don't know why it's such a controversy to celebrate Christmas as long as we're not losing sight of that fact that it's about Jesus and it's not about Santa or gifts or you know how expensive your your tree is that year nothing like that think about it you know a man-made tradition that i think most people would say is good is the idea of wearing wedding rings you know you can get sucked into caring too much about how big your ring is or expensive jewelry and it could become an idol in your life the same way that santa or black friday deals could become an idol in your life but it's when we forget the initial intention of marriage and wearing the ring and the promise that it means, or in this case, Advent and Christmas, that we lose sight of the reason for the symbolism. And again, in the case of Advent and Christmas, the reason for the season is Jesus. And so if your heart has lost sight of why we even stop December 25th to reflect on Christ, then that's where I could see celebrating Christ's birth, or if you are blinded from Christ's birth, becoming an issue. I phrased that terribly, but hopefully you understood what I'm saying. So from that, no, Advent is not a biblical ordinance. We're not given exact instructions. We're not told to light candles leading up, but rather it's an invitation. It's an invitation to lay down all that the world has made Christmas and Christmas time and shopping and all those things and just focus our attention on the greatest gift we've ever been given, which is our our Savior, Christ Jesus. I love Advent because it reminds us to have hearts that wait on and seek the Lord. From the time of the last prophet, so the last prophet in the Old Testament, from the time that they prophesied of Jesus to the time that he was actually born was a span of 400 years. So for 400 years, the people in the ancient world held on to the hope that Jesus really would come and be all that he said he was and that he would be all that that God had promised. On this side of heaven, we can rest in the assurance that Jesus did meet the prophecy of the Messiah after 400 years of a waiting period. And now that we await his second coming, his second advent, what a privilege it is to be able to look back on history, on the faithfulness of God, and celebrate his first advent nearly 2,000 some years ago. So as we wait for the second advent, the second coming of Christ, I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating the faithfulness of God and the fulfillment of the first advent of Christ. That is why we celebrate Christmas. So do we have to observe the advent practice of candle lighting, wreath buying, all those things? I really, first, I want to say no, you don't have to do those things. And I feel like it's when we feel like we have to do something that we become legalistic or ritualistic in our worship instead of truly doing something because we love the Lord. The traditions of Advent are meant to draw our hearts closer to Jesus and to prepare him room in the inn of our hearts when he comes knocking at the door. It's time to reflect on the true gratitude that we have that he came into this world as just a baby for you and for me. You know, Advent isn't a checklist or a series of candles we count until going to church is finally over. I remember in the the denomination that I grew up in, it just felt like church and uh, Christmas and Easter were just this like marathon of church that I would just count down until it was over. 
But now that I know the Lord truly and, and I love the Lord and I love God's people and I love being in the house of worship and I love praise and worship and I love prayer, you know, going to church has become an absolute joy and blessing in my life. It's an invitation. Advent, the Advent season is an invitation to focus this season, not on only how he came into the world, but why. So one kind of closing thought. I stated this already, but again, focusing our hearts on Christ, preparing him room, everything that the Advent season represents is truly something we should be doing every day of the year anyway. Have you ever noticed how churches get really full on Christmas and Easter? In the ministry world, we call these people creasters because they're typically either people who are dragged into church by a family member or they're people who are checking off their church box, you know, for the year. And we love to see those people in church. But if Jesus is with you your whole life, then why do so many only show up for his birthday and then his funeral? Truly. If Jesus is with you your whole life, then why do so many only show up for his birthday, Christmas, and then his funeral, Easter? What if this year you lived every day like it was Advent, awaiting with an excited focus on what Jesus was about to do in your life, showing up each week, anticipating his arrival, wondering how and where he would meet you, while giving gratitude to him every single day? Advent isn't just about preparing him room during the Christmas season. Advent is about opening the door of your heart, the inn of your heart, in the room that you prepared for him because you knew that he was coming, where you could house him forever in your life and not just for a season. Jesus doesn't just want your heart for a season. He wants your heart eternally with him. So what if this Advent season, what if, what if this year you lived every day like it's Advent? After all, Advent means coming, and we're anticipating the second coming of Christ. So truly, we should be postured with hearts of a second Advent when Jesus returns to this earth on the day that none of us know but God. So I want to leave you with a challenge this Advent season. I want to lead you with, leave you with um, three sort of options, depending on where you're at in life. The first option I want to throw out there is getting an Advent study. I mentioned at the time that I'm recording this, it's the second week of Advent, but that by the time I post it, it will be, I think the third week of Advent. Um, but we're in the second week of Advent right now. And if you have never done an Advent study, I really want to encourage it. The Daily Grace Company has an amazing Advent study. They come out with one every year. And I really, really love their studies, their writing styles, their affordable studies also, which is wonderful because there's so much of the Bible to learn. Let's be real. So we need affordable studies up in here. I'll link it below um, their website, but I highly recommend an Advent study by the Daily Grace Company. My second sort of challenge or option, if you're trying to prepare him room this Advent season, is to maybe look into getting an Advent candle set up, you know, with, with the four candles, with the wreath to... Um, kind of start traditions in your home to prepare your hearts for the coming of Christ, to think of every day like the Advent season, and to read the, the gospel story of Luke and Jesus's birth as you light the candles, and to just think about the hope, the, the joy, the peace, the love, the, the eternal light of Christ that comes from um, the story that we have of his birth, which we know to be a true story. And then number three, the third option 
I really want to challenge you. If you haven't been to church in a long time, if you're a priester, like I mentioned, and, and you just check off that box on Christmas and Easter, I really want to encourage you to just try church, try to make that a part of your, of your weekly life with Christ. Live every day like he's coming tomorrow. If I want to be caught anywhere during the second coming of Christ, I hope I'm in his house with his people. Not because I think I'm a better human for going to church, but because I know that I need to be in community with, with people who love the Lord. Because after all, when, when Christ does come back, we're going to be taken up into heaven with all those who believe. And it's going to be like a party on Sunday, church worship every single day. And we're just going to be getting it in heaven with you know all the heavenly hosts, all the choirs singing. And so if that's not a part of your life and practice now, What's it going to be like in heaven when you get up there and you're like, I, I don't know what to do, <laughs> which I don't think we'll be thinking about that when we get up there. But I just, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else other than in the house of the Lord among his people. And we know God is with us wherever we go. But there's something so different about worshiping in community, about receiving prayer in community, about receiving guidance in community, about learning in community, worshiping in community. My heart was healed among God's people. And so I want to see that for you. If you just check off that box on Christmas and Easter, my challenge to you is to give church a try. Make that a part of your, your weekly walk with Christ. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. I hope you have an amazing Christmas season if you're listening to this and it's, it's Christmas season near you. I'm truly so blessed by all of you who tune in. And um, I just want to say thank you for all of your encouragement as you've reached out to me at Addie Overla on Instagram to just let me know that you're listening, to let me know um, what you do and even don't like about the podcast at times. I really appreciate each and every one of you. And I want to say thanks for tuning in this week. And I will see you next time on Christ and Me with Addie.